0: Good day to you and welcome to the NPFCC Messages podcast. We're glad to have you back. Or if you're listening for the first time, thank you for checking us out. This week's podcast is a message from our series through the book of First Timothy. Throughout this series, we're going to examine just how critical the message of the gospel is for the church. And while this may seem obvious to some, the truth is it's easy to get distracted by the noise and the trends of this world and forget what's most important. So these messages aim to draw us towards keeping the gospel first in our lives and in the church. So be blessed as you listen to this word.
1: Man, it is great to see you all this morning, um, it is a beautiful day, um, we're excited about all the things that God is doing, and we are, we're really transitioning into this fall season, and I mean, how many of y'all already put up Christmas decorations, don't, don't be afraid? We got some of you in here, alright, yeah, I know, I, I've been, man, my wife's watching Christmas movies already, and it's getting crazy around the place, lots going on, you know. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Some mornings I feel like I almost have to give like this little disclaimer. This morning's disclaimer is this. Whether you're with us here in the room or here at ho- or with us at home, one of the disclaimers would be this. Um, I'm not thinking about any of you in particular when I'm preaching this morning. <laughs> okay, just just so you know. Okay, because I get people all the time who are like, man, you know, were you thinking about me when you... I was like, nope, nope, nope. You know, I mean, I think about you all all the time, but... Nobody in particular this morning. We're, today we're in week eight of our teaching series through the book of First Timothy. And um, we're calling this uh, whole series a gospel-shaped church. The word gospel. Everybody say gospel. You guys are nice and awake this morning. I, you, you guys are kind of got into that time, or time change thing. It's, it's getting you good now, right? So, and gospel, it means good news. How many of you could use some good news? Yeah, if you flip on the TV, there's not a lot of that. But in here, there's a lot of it. In God's word, it's all good news. And we wanna be a church, a gathering of Jesus followers who bring good news to the world. And to make that happen, we first have to live it in our lives. We want to experience God's good news. Now, how how many of you would like some good news in regard to your finances? Anybody? Would like some good news in that area? Come on, this is audience participation. Would you like some good news when it comes to finances? How many? Come on, participate, play along. All right, very good. Yeah, You know, when it comes to finances, how many of you have at least maybe just a teeny bit at least of anxiety when it comes to all the things financial in the world? Anybody else got got some anxieties? Yeah, this is an area in our lives where, where oftentimes we have anxiety and fear. And that's not good news, right? So the question is, how do we experience God's good news when it comes to finances in our life? And well last week we began this deeper look into 3 verses found in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 verses 17 and 19 which we're going to read in just a minute. And these verses teach people like you and people like me how to be rich. If you missed last week's message, I encourage you to go back go to our website or our podcast or something and take a look at last week's message and check that out so you can kind of catch up. You see, many of us think that good news <clears throat> means Being or getting richer, right? That's what we think good news is. But we discovered last week that we already are rich. The problem is, many of us, we're not really good at it. There's a lot of voices out there trying to tell us how to get rich. But there's very few voices out there telling us how to be, how to live richly. And so I just want to recap really fast what we covered last week. Um, we covered these three realities. The first thing we discovered last week is this. We are rich. In fact, if you got here this morning, if you live anywhere near here um, in the Conejo Valley, um, if your house is even close to the average income of the area, then we are, most of us in this room, are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world, which means that we have more resources available to us than 99% of the rest of the world. So we are rich. We just have to deal with that. Secondly, we learned this, that being rich is hard, right? Jesus said so. Jesus said it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, that, I mean, we need to take that seriously. Those are the words of Jesus. This is not some, you know, message thing or something that Ken wrote down. This is like, these were wor- the words of Jesus. It is hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. So if we think about that and we recognize and we accept the fact that we in this world, we are the rich people, then we need to understand that it's hard for us to get into the kingdom of God, and, and something you need to understand is, just because you show up at church on Sunday does not mean that you're fully functioning in the kingdom of God, right? This is the place where we learn how, okay? So I, I just think we need to make sure we understand, but being rich is hard work. In other words, being rich has its challenges, and, and, and because we are rich, we need to work hard at getting it right, Money always competes with God for first place in our hearts. It's always this competition. That's why Jesus spoke so much about it. Jesus taught a lot about prayer. Jesus taught a lot about faith. Jesus taught a lot about the kingdom of heaven. But one of the topics he taught most on was this whole concept of our possessions and our money. The reason is because he knew that that could get in the way. Right? But yet, he blesses us. And so we need to learn how to live within that blessing and make sure that we do the hard work of what it means to be rich. The third thing we learned and we discovered is this. Everything I have comes from God. It's easy for us to think, well, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I worked hard. I got the paycheck. Therefore, I'm the best judge of how my resources should be used. But we discovered that the Bible reminds us that God is the source of all that we have. He gives us the ability to acquire wealth. It is God who allowed us to live in this place, to have greater access to resources. And because of that, we have a huge responsibility to manage well what God has blessed us with. And this is what we we said last week. People who are good at being rich are the ones who are willing to admit that they are rich and become intentional about what they do with what God has blessed them with, right? In other words, we don't just kind of let things happen on their own. We're intentional about saying, yep, God blessed us. We're rich. We should be good at it, okay? Now, last week I shared with you that my hope as we go through this, these few verses is this. I hope that you, number one, have a plan so you can live on purpose, I think when it comes to finances and stuff, a lot of people don't have much of a plan except spend it, right? Either make it or spend it, um, and because of that, they don't live on purpose. They don't, they don't. They don't use their resources for a particular purpose except, you know, um, to make me happy. That's about it. And when that happens, okay, then we're living we're living in ways that aren't directly what God has in store for us. The second thing was this, I pray for all of you that you will learn to live with margin. You know what margin is? That, that means you have space. You have space between what all has to go out every month and what comes in, right? That you've got space in there and why do you need space? I, I, want, I, I pray that you would learn to live with margin so that you can live on mission. That is huge. Live with some margin. Plan that in. Figure it out so that you can live on mission. Because I'll tell you this, there's nothing more exciting. There's nothing more fun. There's nothing that fills your soul deeper than living on mission with God. There, There is something about it that just fills our soul to the core in ways that possessions and money and stuff just can't. And I want you to experience that. I want you to experience what it means to live on mission with God. Uh, we'll have, uh, just watch for this. We have a, a thing in order to have a good plan and learning how to live on mission. In January, we'll, we'll start. We have something called Financial Peace University. Um, Some of you guys have heard Dave Ramsey and some of his stuff before. Um, there's a a class that you can take. Um, we're even gonna, I believe we're gonna do it online so you can, um, you can kind of just zoom in so you can get all the materials and everything. And it's a great way to develop a plan and to understand how to live on mission. So just keep watching for that. It'll happen in January. So how many of you want to learn how to be rich? Eh? Not so much? (laughs) Yeah, I I hope that you do. Because it's a great thing. And again, here's the thing. You, you are rich, so we might as well learn how to be rich and to do it really well. So let's dive in and read this text together. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 19. What we've been doing just to honor God's word. I'm just going to have you stand with me. I'm going to read this um, because we trust that God's word is truth. More important than anything else I say today, listen to God's word. So First Timothy 6, 17 and 19 says this. Command those... Who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasure as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they can take hold of the life that is truly life. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for these words. Thank you that you want us to be blessed. Father, thank you for blessing us. Help us to learn how to take what you've blessed us with and to honor you with it and to live the life that is truly life. We thank you, Lord and praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. Last week we looked at just the first nine words command those who are rich in this present world and we said that would be us right So that's us. Today we're going to do the rest of verse 17 that says this. Not to be ignorant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Okay, he says, he wants us to enjoy this. God doesn't want this to be a chore. He doesn't want us to be, oh man, this money thing is such a drag, it's such a downer, it's such a, you know, there's so much anxiety. He wants us to enjoy this. He wants us to find peace in this. He wants us to find fulfillment in this. But in order to get that, we have to do it his way. If, if we're not careful, wealth can have some negative side effects. Okay, you, you know side effects, right? You, you guys have seen all the commercials on TV. For, you know, there's drug commercials all the time now, right? And, and, and you see all these drug commercials, and all the drug commercials, they tell you all the great things that this new pharmaceutical wonder will do for you, right? But then at the end, in a little quiet and really fast voice, they tell you all the side effects, Right? Like, you can get rid of your toe fungus, but you might kill your liver or get some kind of cancer. Right? I mean, you can take care of your joint pain, but it may cause suicidal thoughts. And I'm like, ah, oh, like, I don't know if this is worth it, man. You know, it's like sometimes the side effects are worse than like the benefits, right? And so the, so wealth is kind of this thing that has these side effects that if we're not careful, these side effects can come back and bite us. And one of those side effects is this. The first one, we're going to talk about a couple of them this morning. The first is this. Wealth can cause arrogance, Right, he he says it right there in First Timothy six seventeen. He says, "Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant." So that's the first command: don't be arrogant. Uh, why are we? Su- why do you suppose that God had to put that in the Bible? Right? It, it, don't tell the rich people don't to be arrogant. Could it be that there is a tendency on the part of rich people to be arrogant? Maybe just a little bit. All right? I mean arrogant. The word, it means this. It means to have an exaggerated sense of one's own importance, or an attitude of superiority. Arrogance. Like I was thinking about it all, all week long. I was thinking about like, what, like, where do I see arrogance at work out there? Like, where do I see rich people being arrogant? One of the ways I, I was, I was thinking is um, I went, I pulled into a um, a shopping center area, you know, and there's a guy who it obviously has a, the nicer car, but he t- takes up multiple parking spaces because his car's better. Right? That t- okay? That's just a little sign, right? Then um, arrogance. You know, I, I think some think people believe that, that their higher net worth means there's greater self worth. Um, I saw this video the other day, and, and it just—I I had to watch it multiple times because um, it was a video of this elderly man who's walking with a cane. He's—he's he's right outside um, a very upscale mall, and he had dropped his keys, and he was struggling to get his keys. Right? He's trying to like get it with the cane. He's trying to figure out, you know, like if he can if he can get out there and get his keys that he had dropped. And it was pretty obvious. I mean, you're looking at this going, it's very obvious what's going on here. And people are just walking by, walking by, walking by, walking by, walking by, right? And then a person who appeared to be a homeless person stops, picks up the keys, gives them to the guy, and then, and then sits down and starts talking to this guy, right? And I'm thinking, man, I mean, you know, if if you're too busy, if you're too busy to help someone else, it might mean because you think what is on your calendar is more important than what's going on around you, that's a subtle form of arrogance. As I've had the opportunity to travel around the world um, and go to so many different places, I have noticed this right? Because we, we, like we said last week, we Americans, we really are the wealthiest people in the world as a whole. And I've noticed that Americans, we do tend to display this subtle arrogance. We, We tend to see the way others do things as wrong or less than, rather than just seeing them as different, and it's really important for us to understand, yes, other cultures do things very differently, but that different is not wrong. Right? But but we Americans tend to have that. I, I know that um, you know, I I grew up in doing construction, and I learned a lot about how to build things and everything. So, um, and I've had a lot of opportunity to go around the world and build stuff, you know, and and, and I have had to learn a lot. Because my first tendency sometimes is to look at the way that they're doing something or building something in another country, in another place, and go, whoa, 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 like, that's not, like, you got to, that's not the right way to do this, right? I mean, and I convince myself, well, it comes from a good heart because I don't want their building to fall down, right, which sounds really good and all. But I'm, like, trying to convince them, hey, by the way, the American way is better, right? And then I have to stop and think, yeah, but we don't build with bamboo, I I really know nothing about it, right? So it's like, oh, maybe I should listen to this guy. Maybe I could learn something. I have had to learn to be a better observer, to be a better listener, to be a better question asker so that I can learn from other people in other places as much as I'm trying to share with them or instruct them. But it's easy to get arrogant, right? When we think we know... What we're doing, we, we can allow riches to make us arrogant when we start to believe that our wealth increases our, increases our worth. When we think that wealth is a sign of our worth, we start to see people with less as worth less. And we need to guard against that. Now, something we need to work at is not seeing people who have less as worth less and, and seeing people with more as worth more. We need to really guard against that because the Bible teaches directly against that. Arrogance puts the spotlight on us rather than putting the spotlight on God, who is the source of our wealth. And the best way to guard against arrogance is to remind yourself every day who is the true owner and provider of everything that we have? It, it, it is reminding ourselves that God gave us the ability okay, to have what we have, that God has blessed us with what we have, and to be thankful for all of that. The 1 Timothy six seventeen goes on, it says, uh, Command them not to be arrogant, right? Nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Boy, I mean, wealth, it's pretty uncertain, Right? I mean, I mean, you, you, I mean, how, because of our crazy phones, right? You can watch the stock market, right? And you can watch, you can ride that roller coaster and it'll just create anxiety because it is so uncertain, right? It's up, it's down, it's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. Here's the, here's a good test. If your attitude and emotions go up and down with the stock market, you're in trouble. Okay and that 's something again that we need to guard don't put your hope there, right we need to put our hope we don 't need to put our hope in in our wealth, so don't put your hope in wealth that 's the second command i mean listen listen to what the wealthiest man who ever lived and for, according to the Bible, who will ever live right it, it, king solomon uh, there's somebody who who kind of tried to estimate like what um King Solomon's actual uh, worth was, right, what what his worth was, um, is estimated he was worth $600 billion. To put that in perspective, Elon Musk is worth $180 billion. So it's like five times, right? King Solomon was worth five times. The poundage of gold that King Solomon had is just like incredible. It's phenomenal, right? But listen to what, and, and not only that, he was the wisest man who ever lived. So listen to what the wisest, richest man in the world ever said about wealth. He said this, you know, writing in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said this, I have seen a gravest evil under the sun. Listen to this part. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. That's really, really important. If you got your Bible or whatever, this is a place where you take notes, right? You underline that, you highlight that, right? Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. We look at that and go, oh, well, you can never have enough, right? You, we got to, we got to get more, we got to get more of that, like having more could never harm you, right? But, but The wisest man in the world says, no, I've seen wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners or wealth lost through some misfortune. Again, don't put your hope in it. It's uncertain. So that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. I mean, wealth can harm its owner. How's that happen? Well, most of us put our hope in wealth because we think it's a source of security, We believe that we need to protect ourselves and provide our own security so we accumulate. We accumulate because we think more is safer. More is greater protection, right? That's what we think. We need more so that we're safer, right? And then Jesus told this parable to demonstrate our tendency towards putting our hope in wealth. In Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21, it says this. Uh, Someone in the crowd, this is Jesus, people gathering around Jesus, said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So there's a little dispute about an inheritance issue going on. Money always ruins relationships, man. It's crazy. So then Jesus replied, man, I love this. Jesus goes, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Okay, so Jesus is saying, see these guys, they're fighting over money. And, the, and so Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And we ought to just memorize that, meditate on that, and go. Right? I mean, listen to that. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded for, from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. This guy sounds like a lot of people I know. He's been blessed, right? He had this great harvest. I mean, it, like his work's paying off. He's like, he, and, and he's got a lot at his disposal. He has more than he needs. And so what does he do? He's like, well, my barns are too little. I gotta build bigger barns. I gotta tear these barns down and build bigger barns, right? Now, in today's in today's look at all this, because I, I don't there might be one or two of you in here that have barns, but not many of you have barns, right? But I was thinking about this like in today's thing, and some of you have heard me talk about this before when we've talked about this stuff. Um in, in today's economy, what does that look like? It it looks like um sheds. tough shed, right? I need another one of those. I was thinking, I actually this is crazy. I'm doing something in the backyard. I'm like, I need another one of those, right? Cuz I got I got to put more stuff in the right? Or it's um or, or, or we rent storage units, right? And um like I said some of you've heard me say this before. Did did you know according to that, check this out, there's something called the Self Storage Association of America. Okay? So in other words, we, we have so much of this that they need an association for it. <laughs> and <laughs> So there's an estimated, check this out, 2.8 billion square feet of self-storage space in the United States, wh- wh- which amounts to 23,404,300 individual storage units. There's a storage unit for every 14 people in the U.S. population. Okay, it's equivalent to over 80 square miles, right? So we could basically like fill up the Grand Canyon with our junk. Maybe that's why God made it. I don't know. Just just say. So um there, there are four thousand forty-eight thousand five hundred storage facilities in the US that are part of this association. Now now that sounds like but. Comparatively, there's only 14,350 McDonald's and there's only 12,962 Starbucks. So we have more storage places than we have McDonald's and Starbucks combined. One in every nine households in the U.S. has a storage rental, a rental storage place. And the average monthly rent is $194.94 which means that the average annual rental fee is $2,339. Now, here's where it gets really crazy. It is estimated that the average storage unit has $2,500 worth of stuff in it. Right? So basically, in one year, you are paying what the sum value of all the junk in there, I mean, stuff in there, I mean, possessions, I mean, you know, uh, yeah. Are in in your in your storage stuff, right? In other words, you could you could basically get rid of everything every year and then just buy it again, right? But I know, I know, I know it has sentimental value, right? Now, so I, as I'm reading this, I know we get, we kind of joke about it. Um, I mean, but but really, I think it it speaks to the fact that we we kind of have this sickness, right? That that we need that we need more space for more stuff because more stuff means more value and more value means I'm worth more. And that's what the American standard tells us. But God tells us the opposite story. And think about it, what else could you do with $2,339 a year? Some of you are like, well, that doesn't sound very much. Well, well, what could you do with it? In one year, you, you could help build a house for a family in Mexico. Uh, you could pay the annual salary for two pastors in Cambodia. You could pay the annual salary for a nurse in Liberia. You could pay tuition for six kids in Ecuador to go to school. And, and, folks, what, what could we do for the kingdom of God if we really got good at being rich? What could we accomplish for the Lord's work if we were really, really good at this being rich thing? One way to tell if you put your hope in wealth or in your stuff is by how hard it is for you to part with it. If you can't easily part with your stuff, then it's got a grip on you. And the question is this Does God have a greater grip on you than your stuff does? And that certainly is something for us to ponder. You know, the truth is, honestly, most of us are kind of scared. We're scared that we won't have enough, enough money, enough stuff, and that somehow if we don't, that we won't be worth much. You know, as I've been studying this, I found, I found that studies show that the wealthier the family income, the more likely the children in that family are to suffer from clinical depression and anxiety. And we see that, we see that playing itself out in, in our life, in our country, in our community. Folks, please listen to this passage of scripture. I, I, I just, this is so important because I think in this is part of the, it's, it's the cure for this idea that our wealth comes from our stuff. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says this. It says, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. If we really could come to grips with the value that God has placed on us, with the price that he was willing to pay on our behalf, it would help us break the grip that money has on us because we would realize that our worth does not come from our stuff, it doesn't come from our money. You don't need stuff to prove that you're worth something. God said you were worth something when Jesus came and died on the cross to save you. And he wants you to know how valuable you are to him. And that there's nothing in the world that can substitute for that. In First Timothy six seventeen, it goes on, it tells us, don't put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And then he says, but put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Put your hope in God. Now now what does it look like to put your hope in God? I'm going to really quickly give you three things. They all start with the letter P. Um, how do we make sure that we prioritize God that that, that we um, put our hope proper that we have a properly placed Hope. Number one is this. um, We make God a priority in our giving. So, priority giving is the first thing. What does priority giving look like? It means we give to God first. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits, right? The first stuff that you get back in their day, they were farmers, so it was like the first of the crops, you give that to God, which which really means you trust him, right? Because it's like, hey, we haven't harvested the rest, but we're gonna take it, we're gonna give God the first, and then we still got more coming in, so we're depending that God's gonna keep providing And then the promise is this. He says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your baths will brim over with new wine. He says, hey, trust me, if if you do this, if you get this right, then God's gonna keep providing. Now, how do you put God first? When you make a budget, you put the giving line on top. When when, when you get paid, make giving to God the first thing you do. Make the first item in your bill pay, giving to the Lord, right? Right? I mean, you can go online at church and you can do a reoccurring thing so that it just automatically happens, right? And you're just telling God, hey, I'm gonna, I'm thinking about you first. I realize where it comes from. I'm thinking about you first. I'm gonna give back to you first. That's what I'm gonna do. So honor guard first. That's priority giving. Number two is, is percentage giving. Right. Listen. Listen to this story in Mark chapter twelve, verses forty-one to forty-four. Okay. Some of you have heard the story. If you've been in Sunday school most of your life, you've heard the story. It says Jesus sat down opposite the place where the off, where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. I I, I always think it's funny. We we. Like, do such a big thing about the anonymity of, you know, people's gifts that I don't, I don't have any idea what, it, what anybody gives or whatever. And we try to make sure that it's really protected and it's a private thing and all this stuff. And I'm sitting here going, yeah, but Jesus is sitting there watching. Like, of all the places Jesus could sit, right? He could have the best seat in the house. Jesus, is like, I'm going to sit over here and watch people put their offerings in. I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting, right? And then he said, many rich people threw in large amounts. Makes sense. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, he said, now I love this. He says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put everything all she had to live on. Jesus is like, you know, they're, they're sitting there and he's got his disciples and he's watching people put in and, you know, everybody else, they're putting these coins in and say they hear all the money clanking through the, you know, the little offering thing. And then this little lady comes in, gets two pennies. Blink, blink. And Jesus Jesus is like so impressed. He, he like grabs his disciples and says, guys, 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 come here, come here, come here. Look at this. Come check this out. I mean, look at this. This lady, right? This lady, this poor lady, she put in more than everybody. And, and you have to, the disciples are scratching their head going, um, Jesus, like, um, I, like you're really good with the Hebrew stuff, but the math class, maybe not so much. Like what's happening? So he's like, she's like, no, like she put in more. Everything she had. Now here's the thing. She did not give the greatest dollar amount, right? She gave the greatest what? Percent of what she had she gave 100 percent. she gave it all jesus says hey she gave all she had everything she had to live on she she went all in she pushed her chips all to the middle said i'm going all in on jesus i'm going all in on god i believe god is going to take care of me i'm going all in and the Bible teaches this. The Bible says, hey, yeah, are we gonna trust him with what we have? Do we recognize everything that we have is his, anyways? The Bible it teaches this concept. You know, you hear us talk about this all the time called the tithe, right? In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, it says, a tithe of everything from the land, grain or or the from the soil, your fruit of your trees, or whatever. Whatever you got, everything belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. The 10%, right? Tithe is 10%. It's like 10%, and then at the end of the Old Testament, you know, um, the, the prophet Malachi, you know, God's talking to his people and he's saying, man, you guys have robbed me. Which I think is interesting. In Malachi 3, 8 through 11, he says, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But then you'll ask me, how are, how are we robbing you, God? And then here's what he says, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Then he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me and this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough to store it. Some people make the mistake of thinking that, um, that grace, right, when we get to the New Testament, some people make this mistake and they say, well, you know that tithe thing, that's an Old Testament thing. And, and people make the mistake of thinking that grace, the grace that Jesus brings, frees us from having to tithe. But I would say this, What if grace frees you to do more than the tithe? Because every Old Testament thing that happens, excuse me, every Old Testament command, Jesus like bumps it up a notch. There's nowhere where Jesus goes, oh, like let's take that down a notch. Jesus is always like, oh, you've heard it said, like, you know, don't murder. He says, man, if, if you hate your neighbor, you've already murdered him in your heart. Jesus like bumps it up a notch. He says, "He says you've heard it said, you know, don't commit adultery, right? Don't don't do the act, don't do that." And Jesus says, "Oh, but I'll tell you what. If you've already, if you've looked lustfully on somebody, you've already done that." Jesus is always bumping it up a notch, bumping it up a notch. And um, a guy named John Ortberg, he kind of helped me with this years ago when he said this. He said, "What if tithing isn't opposed to grace at all? But what if tithing is actually a vehicle?" of grace that it helps me live in god's grace in other words what if god meant tithing to be a gift from him that helps us participate by our obedience placing our worship our heart and everything we have firmly on the foundation of god what if that's the way that god wants it see because He could take it all from us if he wanted to. He doesn't have to bless us with anything, right? He chooses to. But then when he does, he says, hey. He goes, just to make sure you know where this came from, here's how I want you to do this. I want you to give back to me. We only see it as a bad thing when we focus on what we think it takes away from us. But what if we started focusing on what it blesses us with? What if we opened up the door like he said so that God could open up the floodgates in our lives? And here's what I want to encourage you with. I mean, some I mean, some of you are thinking like, wow, tithing 10%, giving 10%. Some of you are like, okay, pastor, you, you don't know my budget. If you knew my debt load, you'd know that that's impossible. There's no way I could do that. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Don't, don't, don't worry. I mean, don't get legalistic. Don't freak out about it. Don't go, oh, I just can't do this. So just, so I'm not going to do anything. Start with 1%. I think if you honestly, with a heart of saying like, God, I want to do something. I want to move in your direction. You do 1% and you do that faithfully and consistently. You make it a priority. You do it first. Just watch. I believe God will work in your life. He'll work in your finance. He'll do all kinds of things. I've watched people start to do this and get themselves out of debt by giving to God, by just saying, I'm going to start, low, and then and then when you see that working, then bump it up to 2%, bump it up, you know, whether it's, you know, bumping it up once a year or whatever, and then eventually you'll get there. And, and I believe that God will grow you in ways you can't imagine. You're going to see God working in ways you can't imagine. I mean, some of you, rather than doing that, some of you just need to rip off the band-aid and just jump in and go, go for it at 10%. Maybe sell something or empty out your, you know, storage unit and just, you know, uh, give the monthly thing to give it to the Lord. Now, here's the thing. And I I say this all the time. I know again, those of you who are here a lot, you've heard me say this. If you are skeptical at all, or if you have this twinge of, Oh man, the church just wants my money. Listen very carefully. Give it somewhere else. Right? God has been taking care of his church here for a long time, right? And I know there's some people get a little nervous when I say stuff like that, but here's the reality, okay? Um, God, God will take care of things. We want him to take care, we want him to teach you, we want you to grow, right? We want you to align yourselves with God. And you know what? When you get this right, you will see his blessing and it will bless your life like you can't believe. And then when, once it works, then yeah, come on back and we'll, we'll, we'll help you with all that. So uh, the Lord says, test him in this in Malachi. So I'm just encouraging you, do what he says. Test him. See if it doesn't work. I really believe it will. And the last P is this. Okay, and then we'll wrap this up. Progressive giving. Here, here's here's think about, think about 10%, okay? But we don't, I mean if you just do 10%, like we don't even tip God well. All four of our daughters were, wait, were waitresses over at Country Harvest, right? And nowadays, if you get a 10% tip, is that a good tip? No. We don't even tip God well, right? We're just like, oh, yeah, God, I'll just give you, you know, we'll just give you a little bit of this, right? If God gives us everything, And then we don't, I mean, then we don't even get, we're we're like telling God, oh yeah, your service isn't all that great. Like, man, that's crazy. Second Corinthians 9.11 says this, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. We're going to dive deep into this next week. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now. Some of you don't need to get stuck at the tithing. Some of you have been just doing the tithe thing for a long, long, long time and you've just been like, okay, I'm good. And, and that's, all, that's what you think. But you know what? There's still room for you to grow. There's still places. In Malachi, he, says, he talks about tithes and offerings. So there's the tithe and then there's offerings, right? For, uh, uh, tithing, I, I've always said this, tithing is like the training wheels on the bike, right? It, it helps you stay balanced, right? But after a while of doing that, I mean, could you imagine, like I was thinking about, like I've been riding bikes for a long time, right? And, um, and I love to go riding up in the hills and stuff. If, if I had training wheels on my mountain bike, that would stink. Right? It's like I've moved past that. Well, the same thing goes in, in this area of giving. Maybe some of you need to move past it because God wants to bless you more. God wants to see you more faithful. God wants to continue to see and work in your life. And if you're new to faith or, you know, maybe you've like got some issues with all this, maybe, maybe taking it easy and easing into this is ob- obviously appropriate. But there is nothing more exciting than being obedient to God and watching him be faithful to us. And so there's this growth cycle. And especially for those of us, and we said this last week, who are rich, We recognize where it came from and we give what we should. We are obedient, we give back to God. And in doing so, he is faithful to bless us. And when he blesses us, then there's more to work with. And we keep working with that and we keep giving more. And the one thing that my dad taught me a long, long time ago that I can honestly tell you is true without a shadow of a doubt is this. You cannot outgive our God. You just can't. And he wants to bless us. But his blessing is dependent upon our obedience. So if you really want to be blessed, trust him. It starts when we trust God that he will do what he says. And when we properly place our hope in him, not in our stuff, So there's a statement that I've heard. It's at the bottom of your notes. If you're taking notes this morning is this. And this is what I want to end us with this morning. I will not trust in riches, but in the one who richly provides. I will not trust in the riches that I have, but I will trust in the one who richly provides. Because when I do, I have no fear. When I do, there is peace When I do, I feel his love And when I do, I recognize that I am on mission with my Savior And that, my friends, is the most fulfilling life you can ever live This morning, if you're here and you don't know him If you don't know Jesus who gave his life for you I want to invite you to to receive him to say yes I want to I want to live my life I I, I want to experience that kind of joy and that peace I want to live all of that and if if that's you this morning then in a couple minutes while we're having communion or while we're singing you can just come up and talk to me if if maybe today you're here and you're just, you've got a lot of like, maybe it's financial anxiety. Maybe there's just a lot of struggle and stuff in your life. And you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And all this just sounds like crazy talk. This sounds like gibberish to some of you. Like we've got leaders in the church who who just, we just want to pray for you because we want you to experience God's peace in this. We don't want you to live in anxiety. We want you to Experience God's blessing. So I'm gonna ask our our elders um, to just come up front and if you wanna pray with one of them, they'd love to pray with you. Um, If you got any other issues, if you got a health concern, if you got something, we'd love to pray with you. There'll be people in the back prayer areas that can pray with you. Know this, God doesn't need anything from us. He wants everything for us and he wants to bless you. He proved that when he died, sent his son to die on the cross for us. And that's why each week we remember that as we take communion. So if you have your little communion cup here, um, we're gonna take this little piece of bread, which reminds us that Jesus' body was broken for us. So let's take that together. And then the cup that uh, represents Jesus' shed blood with which he forgave our sins. So let's take that together. let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you. Father, I thank you for all the incredible ways that you bless us, for all the things that you give us, for this place that you've allowed us to live, for the possessions that we have, for the finances you put at our disposal, Father, for all the resources that you provide for us. God, we are so thankful for the abundance that you give. God, help us to be good at being rich. Father, help us to be good at loving people. Help us, Father, to be good at sharing your hope with others. Father, help us use what you have blessed us with to be a blessing to people so that they can see your love, find your hope, and know your peace. We love you, Lord, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the NPFCC Messages podcast. If you'd like to support the work of our church, head to NPFCC.org slash give to make a one-time or reoccurring gift. For more information about us, you can always check out our website at NPFCC.org. Again, that's NPFCC.org.